and I think they did an amazing job with the stories. It was it was gripping, like it was really hard to put a pause between the episodes and actually go to bed. <laughs> Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about the new running apparel company, Path Projects. Our team at Fastest Known Time has been using their shorts and liners for months, and Peter Backwin's wife, Stephanie, said they're literally the best-looking shorts she's ever seen them in. Besides the good looks, all Path Project shorts have a separate shorts and base liner system, which means the liner stays in place and wicks away moisture while the short rides independently. This eliminates all chafing. The base liners come in three fabrics and four lengths. This allows you to dial in a base liner based on weather conditions and personal preference. Path Project sells direct to consumer from their website, pathprojects.com, not at retail, so they're able to source cutting edge fabrics without marking up the cost to you. Visit pathprojects.com and thanks to Path Projects for supporting fastestknowntime.com and this podcast. My name is Danelle Ballengy. I live in Moab, Utah. I'm 49 years old and I am a mom of two boys and a youth soccer coach, youth basketball coach, and I'm an adventure and endurance sport junkie. I love doing any and all um, endurance type activities and um, that's about it for right now. And my name is Rhea. Um, I live in Denver, Colorado. Um, I'm a professional athlete and I love playing in the mountains. Um, anything self-propelled that's outside, doesn't matter what kind of mode of transportation it is, I want to do it. And this is Buzz Burrell and you are listening again to the fastest known podcast where we don't mess around. We don't putz. We just talk to really fun, really interesting people. We keep it moving. And these two women definitely keep it moving because they might have heard their names because they were on the Eco Challenge. Yes, the Eco Challenge, which had 10 episodes on Amazon Prime. So good to talk to you two. We're going to get into the Eco here. Uh, I'm just going to back it up and give you the background here because the eco has been eco challenge started way back in 1995. It kicked the whole adventure racing thing into gear and then it just stopped. It just stopped for, you know, what was it? Danelle? it was like 18, 18 years, 17 or 18 years. And then they just cranked it back up again with this giant, giant TV production that people should watch. And you two were in it. So, Danelle, tell me about briefly about your team, your experience, because you your team got a lot of TV time. Yeah, I was a member of Team Endure, and my teammates were Mark Macy, Travis Macy, and Shane Seigel. And um, Travis and Mark, I've known them for years. They're a father son. Um, both, both amazing athletes, and I'm a, kind of in the middle of their age. Um, I knew Travis since he was just a little guy, and um, when I first started racing, I competed with Mark quite a bit, side-by-side, um, -side kind of doing snowshoe races and running races. And Mark has actually recently been diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease, and um, he's done every eco-challenge, um, and he's done, he's done every one of them. Yeah. He's done all of them since, you know, back in the day, since the very first one in Utah. And so there was no way he was going to miss this one. Um, but obviously with the Alzheimer's, there were some, uh, it was going to be a bigger challenge for him. It yeah. was a bigger challenge for him in this one. It was a big challenge, but we're going to get into that in a second because you were one of the featured teams. You got a lot of TV time and Rhea's team got no TV time. I didn't, Rhea, I didn't even know you were in it until like episode six. And then I thought, <laughs> wait, doesn't that kind of looks like Rhea there. And then episode seven, suddenly team Canada is in third place. And I'm going, wait, that is Rhea. She's doing great. So your experience was a lot different. Yeah, unlike um, the Mark Macy who've done every who's done every single eco challenge, this was my first, um, and it was also Ryan's first, and not just that, it was our first adventure race of any kind. Um, so it half of 
the team never having zero experience in the sport. We weren't exactly one of the teams they thought was going to do well. Um, and we also just, we didn't really have a story they were going to showcase. Um, so we were very much a dark horse. Um, we were actually in front. We were in first place on the like second part of the last leg. And then we stayed in the top five throughout the race. Um, but it was just one of those things that we were not really a team that they were focused on. So to us, it was just purely a race. Um, and we ended up doing, I think, well enough. Maybe next time <laughs> they'll follow us a little bit more closely. <laughs> right. That's a good point. So anyone who's not familiar with the Eco Challenge, it's a really big show. It's sort of like Dancing with the Stars. So there's two things happening at once. One is an actual race where people are going pretty hard. And it's uh, nonstop. It's not a stage race. So sleep deprivation is a big deal. Navigation is a big deal. And just surviving tough conditions is important. And then they tell stories so they can sell it, sell the TV time to the general public. And so there's two things always happening at the same time. And so Rhea's team was not on the radar. They weren't paying you any attention until you were there, you were there, you were there. And... Um, you were almost were right there. Well, meanwhile, Danelle's team with Mark and Travis got huge TV time because, you know, his father and son, you know, Travis was taking care of his father. And it was a, it was an emotional, um, it was emotional for most people watching, I think. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. I just finished watching the show yesterday. And actually, I didn't mind like just seeing all the other teams on camera because you see you see the race from a very much different perspective than what you've seen it during the race. And um, I probably cried every single episode when um, the Macy team, the team indoor, came on just because it was so touching. And I think they did an amazing job with the stories. It was it was gripping. Like it was really hard to put a pause between the episodes and actually go to bed. <laughs> wow. Wow, so you just now finished it up, and you were watching Team Endure, and you were moved by uh, listening to Travis then. I was already crying in Fiji when they gave a speech at the closing ceremony, and I cried again <laughs> watching it on TV, so um, it was very moving. Gotcha. Well, Danelle, how was that? Well, let me just, just – it's an interesting – it's a touchy topic here because Travis and Mark are friends of mine as well. And I didn't know that Mark had done every single EC. And, of course, uh, Travis is an excellent professional athlete. And you were kind of in the middle. You know what I mean? Like you have major AR cred, major AR cred. And you, but that wasn't your role. Your role was to be support, keep it going. And so how was that? Did you want to be up front kind of putting the hammer down or how'd that go for you? Yeah, it was, it, this was a good fit for me because I, it's, it had been many years since I raced and, and since then I've had kids and an accident and, um, but I still love the sport. So when Travis um, asked me to be part of the team, I was super excited and um i knew i knew about mark but i didn't know that i don't know how else to say it i didn't know he was as bad as he was and travis is such an optimistic guy and he was telling us about how his dad was training and whatnot and it wasn't until we got to fiji that or even in the airport that we Shane and i both observed some of his struggles and we realized okay we're we gotta this is our, this is, we got to get him through this and we can do it. We can do it. Cause we knew he was tough and we knew he wanted it more than anything. So we, we just looked at it as, as a challenge. And to be honest, that was, it was, you know, the tears and stuff. It was, it, that didn't hit me till about day six um, because it was more like just a different kind of, it was the same kind of mentality as when I used to race but it was more like I had this additional challenge, this additional role, which was to help this team get through the race, to help Mark get through the race. And um, and we had a blast. I mean, we had so many jokes and had so much fun. And we moved fast during the day. Like Mark was in pretty good shape. 
And during the daytime, we cruised along pretty fast. And then we slept at night. So that was nice. And we got to really get um, an interesting and fun experience with the locals who are amazing. We've got basically every single night we slept in a house of one of the locals on one of their mattresses. And, um, and then well, we, Ray, well, Raya didn't get to do that. I know, I know we had it. We had, I know we, it was a totally different experience than when I did, because when I did Fiji, when I did Fiji last, the eco challenge before we were actually, I was on this team that was second place. And, um, so I know it was a totally different experience doing it that way, doing it the way that we did it. So it wasn't until Mark really started to suffer that all of a sudden it sunk in just the heaviness of the situation and that this might be his last race and that, you know, just the struggles that he was going through it, that's when it became really hard. Um, and that's when it kind of sunk into just the, father-son relationship and how deep that was and um and so yeah. that those last couple of days were hard in just a different kind of way not in a physical way but more an emotional way well now ray and i are starting to tear up here again uh, uh pardon the, the the pauses here in the podcast as we process that because it is coming back to me i'd like to remind folks listening, I recommend watching this. It's uh, on Amazon Prime called The World's Toughest Race, and it probably is. They went um, times three from past eco-challenges. The budget is just unbelievable, and the, the event is much longer and I think much harder so it's a, it's a pretty good show. And so some people might go, oh, gee, a lot of crying and things like that. And yet certainly one of the very sincere moments, or actually many moments, was Travis. Travis really was right there, and they, they got this. As you said, Danelle, Mark couldn't finish this without it just being ugly, and they had to, no one is going to quit. You weren't going to quit. Travis wasn't going to quit. Your teammate wasn't going to quit. Mark had to say, you guys are going to wait for Mark to say, okay, it's smarter if I stop now. And that was going to be his last race. And everyone can tell that in the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think, um, you know, we we kept going at a pretty slow pace, kind of struggling for a long time. And I, I think if we would have gotten to the ropes and he would have decided that he wanted to do it, that's when probably Shane and I uh, would have had to say, you know, I, I don't know if this is safe because I think that would have put us in risk. But, you know, he just kept going. He wasn't going to stop until, like, it was dangerous. And he just wanted to keep going till then. It was hard for me to be out there with him. I, I wasn't sure if I should say, hey, it's time to stop. You know, I, I was thinking about like the long-term effects of how this race might affect him with the Alzheimer's. And my neighbor has Alzheimer's too. And I take care of her. I'm her caretaker. And I know how important it is to stay in that routine. And so I know how important it is going into the future that Mark can do his routine, his biking, his running and do his route at home. And I was nervous that he was going to destroy himself and not be able to do that. But at the same time, this was so important to him. So it it was tough out there. I I mean, and the section, the section where this um, team endure stopped racing, that was probably the hardest thing I've ever done. Um, I've never had to hop over so many sleep, slippery rocks and fall over and pick myself up so many times. And I have like amazing coordination and I'm young and totally fit. So um, that was incredible just watching everybody go through that because it was, so, it was so hard that we thought we were lost because we thought there's no way that is what they wanted us to do. <laughs> you thought you were off course because yeah. it was just ridiculous. Exactly. Did you have a, did you hire a guide through that section? We didn't. It no. kind of went up the river. Yeah. Okay. Cause I had heard we, by the time we got there, we heard that some of the teams that hired guides were able to 
shortcut some oh, of that. Go, go through the jungle instead of hopping the slippery rocks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we hired a guide, and but we still had to go through quite a few rocks. I don't, I don't know that it was much of a shortcut. Okay. Maybe it was a little easier for the teams that hired a guide. Hmm. Wow. I like what you said, Danelle, about the sleep. Because sleep deprivation is huge. You know, Team New Zealand, which won again, they're known for their sleep deprivation. You know, they'll, they'll push through. And that makes it somewhat, in my opinion, miserable. But if, if you have Alzheimer's, you can't do that. That you just you'd go unconscious. It can't be done. So you had basically had to stop for the night. Meanwhile, Rhea didn't have to stop for the night. So Rhea, you must have had a kind of, you know, you finished seconds. That's fabulous. But you must have had to really work for that. Yeah, um, it was it was for me the hardest thing I've ever done, um, especially the sleep deprivation, because before maybe the longest I've stayed awake for in run, one round was maybe 30 hours. Um, and that was like 30 hours all the time. Um, so 30 hours and then like maybe two hours of sleep, 30 minutes of sleep. Um, and then at the end, we actually got lost in the second to last leg. And we were going to sleep at the camp, but then we wasted five hours just trying to find our bearing. Um, so when we got to the camp, we didn't lose any places, but the team were on our heels and they've slapped. So we had to make a decision if we're going to push to the finish line or if we're just going to be, that's it, we're going to sleep and just take, you know, top 10 instead. Um, and there was never any doubt we pushed on. And so we went about 60 hours on no sleep um, to just get to the finish line. And the hardest part was that the end of it was in a rocking boat for nine hours, sitting down trying to not to fall asleep and at some point it was impossible you just kind of fell asleep but you kept paddling and you hope that you're gonna wake up before you lose your paddle in the ocean <laughs> okay <laughs> no the footage of that paddle looked really it looked rough out there in the ocean did you were you scared um I wasn't really scared because at that point my mind was on like such an autopilot that I was just doing the pedal in pedal out um, but it was really, really hard because we got pushed by currents and by the wind. So we actually ended up heading towards the wrong island. And we didn't realize until like the very, very end that that was incorrect. And then we corrected the course. And we were also stuck in place for about two hours, unable to get out of a rip current that was basically holding us in position. Um, so I feel like we lost just so much time because it's how rough the waters were but it seems like everybody kind of struggled in the same way so maybe it wasn't mistakes maybe it was just just the the ocean <laughs> wow well the world's toughest race the kiwis they went over you probably saw that on tv they went over and they had to get rescued and i thought they handled that fairly they took him to the nearest island and they gave him a replacement boat and they restarted which i think was fair but uh, that was a tough section. Yeah, we actually saw the replacement boat being pulled, but because what all of the boats that were raised boats had this little blinking light on the top, so we could tell that that was another team. But it was moving so fast, we all thought we were hallucinating. <laughs> we, they, like there was just no scenario in which that boat was being like towed by a motorboat. Um, so we learned after the race that that was the replacement boat for New Zealand. But we were so close to them. Um, I think if we realized how close we were, maybe we would have put on the gas a little bit. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And then that's, wow, that's it. And you were, what was it, uh, six, seven days for you, Rhea? Um, six days and 23 hours. So almost seven days. Yeah. Wow. Not a lot of sleep there. So good job. Now, just staying with that for a minute, you were with Robert Miller. Isn't he the OCR guy? Um, yeah, uh, no, I, the Ryan Atkins is the OCR guy and Bob Miller, he's a, a like really experienced adventure racer back from the original Eco Challenges. That's right. I'm sorry. I got that mixed up. Ryan <laughs> Atkins, Ryan, Ryan's been on the podcast. What am I saying? My mistake. Yeah, he's from, he's not from Canada. What's he is, is he? He's from Canada. Yeah. Him and Lindsay, his wife, both live in Canada. Um, they were all Canadian, and I was the honorary Canadian. On <laughs> From Slovenia. Yeah. <laughs> well, close, you know. Just, uh, just. I like saying I'm from Canada these days, too. 
How, how come? <laughs> well, I'd rather be from Canada from than the USA. <laughs> yeah. moment, so I'll <laughs> go with any other country, but our accent is mo most close to Canada, I suppose. That's true. Right. right. Okay. Oh, so you had the OCR background, you were in Ryan. And so obviously you were multi-sport and then you had uh, Bob Miller who could do probably the navigation. Yeah. So OCR is a great background for AR. OCR means obstacle course racing. So you had, like you say, the strength, hand-eye coordination, you could do a lot of different things and not just run or bike. Yeah. Um, you still, I feel like I had to like, put biking quite high on priority list just to get ready for the race. But I definitely didn't paddle as much as I should have. I paddled maybe 10 hours in my life total combined before the race. And then there were 22 hours on like the first leg. Um, but the upper body strength from off course racing definitely saved me there. So um, I had that endurance. Um, but I feel like there's still like a lot that had to be learned in six months before the race. <laughs> Yeah. Well, if you finish second on 10 hours of paddle training when the first <laughs> leg had 22, you you have some talent there, I would say. And a really good paddler on the team. Scott Ford was our fourth teammate, and he was an excellent paddler that picked up the slack that maybe we didn't. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Wow. That's an interesting story. Well, eco is an interesting story, isn't it? Uh, Mark Burnett, I'm just kind of broadening the discussion here for a second. Mark Burnett, what a guy. He watched Rod Gouin, the original, uh, the, the French race, which was much more of an adventure. It was kind of a free-for-all where the it wasn't prescribed exactly what you did. You just had to get from one place to another. And he single-handedly created the, the Eco Challenge. And he turned it into this amazing show that aired on the Discovery Channel and Mark Burnett just, he invented reality TV. He did, for people who don't know it, Survivor, The Apprentice, Shark Tank, The Voice. So he literally invented all reality TV. And he was making so much money, I think he just stopped doing eco. And now it came back 18 years later with Bear Grylls, famous TV personality, at the helm. And just this colossal budget. It's just stunning watching this. And I think I read, you know, they had cameras following some of the teams like yours, Danelle. I heard that six of the cameramen who were embedded in this race had summited Everest. So they had, they had quite a production out there. What did you two notice that? Yeah, they were talented. The cameraman that came along with, um, I mean, the, we had one guy that followed us. Uh, on all the trekking sections and he was amazing and i think he was one of you know he was with the with us the back of the pack team but he was i mean just listening to him talk about the rest of the crew i mean I, they should put together a, a a team and they probably would be in the top five wow those guys were really to be able to keep up the guy oh. that was with the estonians through that canyon was pretty incredible too why well, that was in my mind. I'm not sure if other people had seen the TV show, but since you brought it up, Danelle, right, that the canyon was that uh, section where suddenly at a tropical storm came in. They put a hold on the race, so everyone had to stop where they were, but the Estonians weren't at a checkpoint. They weren't at any camp, and so they had to bivy under very harsh conditions, and they're filming it. I'm thinking, hey, wait a minute. There's a camera guy here. What's he doing? Well, he's Vivian with them. Was it was it odd having like a camera with you guys all the time? Like did he kind of become part of the team or was he just like really much on the outside, not talking and just doing the filming? Oh, he he was he became our friend. He was he's a good friend of ours now, Johan. Um, but he kind of tried to stay to the outside. But at the same time, you know, he's he's with us through this whole experience. And, it, you know, he was so he was kind of part of the team. Um, he wasn't allowed to help out and he didn't. And we didn't, you know, really need his help or anything. Um, but he, he also, you know, we kind of 
did a check on him to see where he was. And yeah, when the, you know, it kind of got out of his way when the footage got really good with Mark. Um, and I, I'm not a big fan of the camera. So I kind of tried to like find my place behind him when he turned his camera on. <laughs> so he was a great guy. We enjoyed, you know, we would have conversations with them and we enjoyed having him along. Wow. Good question, Rhea. Thank you. And Rhea, maybe, maybe I'm going to ask you, I'm going to give you my recollection, Rhea, and you can tell me if you had the same one. Okay. I'm, I'm following team Endure here because I know all these people and they're, they are, and there's Mark and he's, you know, working at it super tough. And there's Travis just supporting him every inch of the way. And they're looking up, talking to the camera and they're in the background there's Danelle with this huge pack just trucking. I mean, yeah. and, and on the boat, I was seeing the same thing. My partner and I were watching this on TV and just laughing out loud because suddenly there in the background, there's Nelly throwing up this huge wake in the boat while everyone's kind of hanging out talking. So <laughs> did, did you notice that, Ray, or is that just me? I've noticed that for a lot of teams. I felt like the Eco Challenge production did a great job of portraying really strong women. Um, and I love that about the show. I hope that eventually adventure racing themes are 50-50, not, you know, 75-25 gender-wise, um, because we're strong. We can truck along and carry heavy things. Wow. That's a darn good point. So for people who aren't aware of classic expedition-style adventure racing, requirement is mixed gender, but that just means generally one female. So as Reyes said, that's three guys and one gal but some teams had more than that and as you you're, you're suggesting it just should be the rule make it gender balanced but certainly hmm, when you look at the teams that struggled the teams that dropped out it was never the woman was it it was never the woman who failed it was always one of the guys who couldn't handle it and of course a good friend of ours they got a lot of camera time was emma so uh, Team Summit from Spain was looking good. Yeah, I loved how animated she was. Whenever she spoke, she spoke with just like so much feeling. It was just a joy to listen to her. Well, Danelle, if you heard, I was actually thinking of inviting Emma to this podcast, but four people total would have been too awkward, so I didn't do it. Danelle, have you talked to Emma since the event? Yeah, so Emma actually has been, she's going through chemotherapy right now. She um, has, she had been diagnosed with cancer um, and she had some like surgery in her labia and um, she couldn't figure out what it was for a long time. And finally she got in and found a doctor and they were able to diagnose it and they quickly did surgery and she's doing much better now. Um, but the last few months she's basically been, um, close to the hospital or in the hospital and she's on the road to recovery. She's wanting to do eco challenge again and she's doing better, but she's had a rough go the last few months. And, um, Dang. I'm just glad she's okay. Cause that's, uh, it's scary. You never would guess how strong she was in. PG that she had been going through this, you know, had cancer and, and was so strong during the race. Oh, she had cancer prior to the race. Uh, I'm not, I don't know the details, but yeah, I believe that's when it started. And then she was diagnosed, uh, after the race, they figured out, you know, exactly what was going on. Oh, she was, she had a lot of camera time. And as Rhea said, she deserved it. She was very animated, very charismatic and like Rhea suggested, the woman held up their end of the bargain every single time. Yeah, she's strong. <laughs> she's definitely strong. Especially, I mean, in this, this race, in Fiji, the women were exceptionally strong. Right. And Danelle, you mentioned that the last Eco Challenge, 2002, you were in and you finished second. So you and Rhea kind of traded places here, but that was the time you got the leech in your eye, isn't it? No, no. The leech was in, um, in Malaysia. Oh, in Borneo. Oh, so okay. We actually had, 
just a probably a similar race as Rhea. We we just raced hard, didn't sleep much, tried not to make mistakes, and then we just got out paddled by the Kiwis at the end. Um, but we were we were actually ahead of them for a little while, and then um, they were able to out paddle us. Well, that's what they do, isn't it? It's, it helps coming from an island. If you if you live in Utah, being a great paddler would be tough. Well, I mean, in, in New Zealand and Australia, those countries, they, they grow up paddling, you know, similar to, similar to like my kids are playing soccer now. It's just what they do. And in Australia and New Zealand, when they're little kids, they grow up out paddling and they learn how to paddle and how to read the water and how to a good paddle stroke and whatnot. So they're, they're just naturals at it. Right. Yep. Hmm. Interesting. Well, it's kind of fun to watch Eco Challenge, watching the different strengths of the different teams uh, play a role. I remember one of the earlier Eco Challenge was in Morocco, um, where Team Vail, the United States team, I think it was coming into the last leg and it was a very, very close race. And then uh, three teams were right neck and neck, and then Team Vail was there. And I said, Oh, it's over. <laughs> because, you know, it's closure. Right. And, uh, and, uh, I forgot the woman's name. Red is her nickname. And these were, you know, mountain bike champions. And so team Colorado team Vale just, you know, rode their socks off for the win. If the last legs, a paddle leg, uh, a little harder for the Colorado people to do that. Yeah. I think that was Sarah Valentine, right? Sarah. Thank you. I couldn't remember her name. Yes. Yeah. 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 They did good, but yeah. Once again, the paddling got them. Right. Well, again, I invite the listeners to watch Amazon Prime. It's 10 episodes, the world's toughest race. It does look pretty tough. Well, Ray, I'm going to ask you one question that Danelle can't answer because the toughest part to me looked like after the rope section, you got in that cold creek. So some teams just you know marched through it. Other teams flailed. Was that water that cold? Did you struggle in that section? It was so incredibly cold. Um, we were at, we were warned um, by the race organizer that at some point we're going to be really cold, and that we might consider bringing new equipment. I know that I don't do all the great with cold water, so I figured bringing the extra weight of a neoprene top would be worth it. And once we started that section, I didn't know that that was that cold part. So we just started swimming. I was in my um, waterproof jacket, but no neoprene. And it was 500 yards into the swim where I thought I was going to drown because I couldn't move my arms anymore. I was shivering uncontrollably. And it was really, really hard to just even put the neoprene on. And I feel like if I didn't have that top, um, I don't know if we would have made it because that was like 500 yards out of an eight kilometer or a five mile um, swim up a river um, where it just it never really warmed up um, we were even lucky that when we were there it was daytime and not raining um, so a lot of the teams had a lot tougher conditions going through that at night with the rain um, but it was it was absolutely miserable you couldn't move fast enough to generate any useful body heat and you couldn't get out of the water because the jungle was too thick um, so that was incredibly hard <laughs> right now, I was looking at that and Emma Roca, who we just talked about, the Spanish team, they really struggled. I mean, Emma, like uh, Danelle said, is insanely strong in everything. She was scared. She was not happy there. And they finally made it through. One of their teammates had literally had hypothermia. And so they had to take a rest break. And they, they were up in the top five. And they finally finished 10th, probably just because of that section. And unlike Rhea, they were wearing T-shirts. Yeah, it's that like that's the thing about these races. There's the mandatory gear list and then a bunch of optional things. And it's like really up to everybody to decide what they're doing. Um, and trying to travel light, sometimes it, like it seems tempting to not bring all the extra things. Um, so we never had like anything sleeping with us. So one time we just slept under emergency blankets on the jungle floor with the rain pouring. <laughs> Um, but yeah, um, that section was really make it or break it. And I feel like that's like one thing that was just kind of the theme of the race. They did an amazing job of making the challenges so hard. They almost broke you, but not so much that they did end up breaking, at least not all of the teams. 
Um, so just when you thought that you couldn't go anymore, it usually ended and you started doing something else. And I thought that was just so, so well made. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So as a TV viewer, we're kind of wondering, well, how legit is this? I mean, it looked insanely hard. It was really long, by far the longest. So you're saying as an experienced racer, you're saying it was very legitimate. The racing and the course was very, very hard. Yeah. Um, it was one of the best courses and hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> wow. And Danelle, you've obviously, actually, Danelle, how many adventure races have you done? Oh my goodness. Hundreds. Uh, and i didn't think it was very hard but that was just because we were you know we got a full night's sleep and we had um you know it was it was a different when you're not competing hard and i think we also we like we missed that hard section um where it's brutal cold and we missed the rope section and then, you know, at the end of the race, it starts to get harder with the sleep deprivation and the fatigue. So the section that we were in was uh, a lot of paddling, a lot of time on the water. Um, and then we did have the wood mountain bike through the mud, the hike a bike. Um, but most of the biking was on roads. We were able to kind of ride, just cruise along. And the trekking by the time, so this is a, something that was different from being back of the pack compared to lead packs. Back of the pack, First of all, we didn't have any navigation. Um, and the, also the trails were in pretty good shape because all the other teams had gone ahead of us. So we had a nice, uh, pretty good trail to follow. So it was really, we had a blast. Like it was just super fun. The, tr the course was fun for us. And it was, you know, we still pushed hard and challenged ourselves, but at the same time we got a full night's sleep and we didn't, for us it was more like, I, I, I wish it was my life to do it like, like I did it with Team Endure because it was just so much fun. Wow, you could have gone on for a few more weeks. Yeah, you know, as long as you <laughs> before I sleep, yeah, to be able to like escape the reality of the real world and just to be out on the ocean and through the jungle and laughing and telling stories with our friends, like we had a pretty good time. Actually, watching watching the show and watching the back of the pack teams yeah. and how their experience was. I was almost a little jealous um, because they actually seemed to have fun like most of the time. And I feel like for us, it was like mostly just like, you know, trying to all the time, like super focused, making, paying attention to how you feel rather than like how the things around you look. Um, so I think it's a, it's, it's, it's two very different experiences. And I feel like both of them are pretty incredible. But Ray, good call. Rhea, you should keep racing hard as long as you can do it because you're so good at it and you've got a big future ahead of you. And someday in the future, you'll be able to do like I do and, and, and go out there and have fun with it. But while you can race hard, because you'll have, those are, those are great experiences too. And, and just a different way where you push yourself beyond the limits that you think you can and just achieving those goals and, knowing that you pushed as hard as you can. That's, that's a pretty good ex experience. And that's something that um, you should do it while you can. I'm definitely planning on it. I actually just got a boat so I can do some proper paddling training for Patagonia. <laughs> right. <laughs> Danielle, that was brilliant advice. I was, um, I was moved. Yeah. Well, you've been there, Buzz, right? You used to bat back in the day be fast well, I, th I think you're uh, you're using the past tense <laughs> well, now you can just get out there and enjoy it right <laughs> see now a few years ago I might have been insulted that you automatically used the past tense <laughs> no you are you are entirely correct and I was certainly putting myself in that place as well you know how that goes you're sitting there watching the TV and you're kind of thinking put me in coach, you know, let's, uh, how would I do there? You know, what, what kind of chops do I still have? You would be good though. I mean, look at some of the, some of the, you know, there's the young ones, the young and up and coming that are, you know, super fast and strong, but in adventure racing experience plays a huge role. I mean, and Nathan is not, he's no spring chicken and he's still racing at the top level. So 
and half of half of our team, like Bob and Scott, they've been in the game for years now. They both have families and kids, and they're a little bit older. And I think that's another reason why our team did well because we had two like young people who we just like carried stuff and everything, and then two really experienced racers. Um, who are both incredibly fit. Like at the start, I was definitely having trouble keeping up and then things like, you know, shift based on how people are feeling. Well, that's, uh, Danielle mentioning the geriatric component. So one of the stories on your team was that Mark has always raced with Marshall and Bob and Adrian, team stray dogs, right? Mm -hmm. So stray dogs also got a lot of camera time. Uh, as the oldest team in the race. And I was noticing that you were way ahead of them. <laughs> so that was kind of interesting. It was fun you to know, see. We, we, we weren't though, we were ahead of them and, but we were actually, we saw them on the course quite a bit and we oh. got some, we got to have some nice conversations with them and they were so supportive of Mark and, uh, and us as a team and we saw them out there. But what would happen is we would stop and sleep all night and they would catch up to us. So they weren't sleeping as much as we were, but we were sleeping and then we'd wake up and push on pretty hard. And then we'd go to sleep again and they would catch up to us. So we did see them quite a bit out there. It's just that um, kind of at the end there, they just missed that last cutoff. And, um, and we had kind of barely made that cutoff. Right. Well, it kind of looked like they weren't sleeping very much, if you know what I mean. The older you get, the more you have to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's a, a question I had. And again, this, I'm going to get two different answers here. Because like you said, Danelle, with someone with Alzheimer's, you have to sleep. Otherwise, you just you go nuts. It, it, it can't be done. And also, it's hard to coordinate at night anyway. Well, Rhea, if you want to finish second, you can't sleep very much. So two different answers here. But it, uh, hmm. watching hmm. watching Team Stray Dogs, I was a little surprised. And all the pe people in the back of the pack, not even the back, the last half, all the teams in the last half who got camera time, nobody was breathing hard. You know what I mean? You're looking at it. No one's just wailing away. No one's panting. No one's physically tired. They all looked exhausted, unmotivated, or just tired out, either from sleep or just being worn out. It, you see what I mean? It's like the race had worn them down rather than physical exertion had worn them down. Yeah, for us, there was definitely parts, at least for me, when I was breathing pretty hard, um, the very first bike, we went really, really fast. So I had trouble keeping up and then I got on a toe when I couldn't keep up on the uphills. And then the last bike again had a lot of steep sections when on the uphill, we were breathing really, really hard and, um, downhill, you were just scared that you're not going to crash. But I feel like if you go that long, you can't really spend that much time in those, um, you know, threshold zones because then you burn out. Um, and actually, in a way, it was really weird that after this race, I was able to run two days after the race was over. Like, nothing was really hurting. I wasn't sore. My joints were fine. But every time I ran for, like, 20 minutes, I had to take a two-hour nap. Um, so I do I do think that, it's like, an expedition of that sort, I think the sleep deprivation is the biggest toll on your body and the hormones that just get messed up from that. It took way longer to recover from that than from like actual, you know, hard ride or hide, hide, hard hike up a hill or a hard pedal. Gotcha. So that recovery is still really long. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Hmm. Well, I notice that uh, both of you have entered 2021. So I looked, I looked this up. It's going to be held in Chile, which is a great place great place because you got mountains you got tough rivers and you have fjords also so they, they have all the training that they could want down there in chile and so ray you're going back probably uh but with a different team you told me me no i'm going with the same team ah we same have, team we have unfinished business <laughs> and the kiwi <laughs> And what, do you know that you've gotten in or are they going to tell you later? 
they haven't told us yet, but I'm like really hoping they let us back in. <laughs> You'll for sure get in. Definitely. I already started started training like we're in, so. <laughs> gotcha. Well, if the second place finish, uh, you, you, yeah, like like Danielle said, you, they got to let you back in. That's what we hope. Indeed. Well, yeah, you, you're going to charge. And then you bought a boat. What kind of boat did you get? A raft pack. Pack raft. You got a pack raft. What kind of trip? <laughs> okay. I, I will hold my tongue here. I'm the host. I'm, I'm supposed to be a supportive host. Appropriate for, uh, appropriate for Chile. Well, that's a good call, Danielle. So, so, so the guest is the guest is here instead of these those incredible outriggers that they had in Fiji, those super fast ocean going outriggers. This could be pack rafting some of those mountainous streams. Is that what you're thinking? No, I'm just thinking I need something I'm actually going to use. So if it's like easy to inflate and easy to transfer on, I'll actually paddle. Um, so it's not the best boat, but it's a boat that makes me spin around the paddles. And I think that's really what's most valuable at this moment. Okay. Well, if you want, we can go to the other end of the spectrum. And when I get back to Colorado, we can go down to Chatfield Reservoir and you can get in one of my surf skis, which will be a little different than the pack raft, but. That sounds oh, great. When you come to Moab, you can get in my surf ski on the Colorado River. Ooh, I'll you take you up. What? I'll take you up on that as well. I actually get go to Moab quite often. I love it there. <laughs> yeah, perfect. That's actually a good idea. And you can use the pack raft. So there's classic pack raft trips on the Colorado River right out from where Danelle lives. Uh, there's bike, hike, pack raft loops in Canyonlands National Park. They actually have particular rules. Canyonlands National Park established rules specifically for pack rafting. That's awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> okay. And Nellie, you have entered 2021 again also. Yes. Uh-huh. Um, unfortunately, Mark is not uh, going to do it again. So it's going to be, but Travis and Shane are, we had so much fun. We're up for doing it again. And our teammate is actually Dave Mackey. And he's probably been on your podcast too. Um, Dave had an accident probably, I don't know, about six or seven years ago and lost his leg. Um, so he will be, um, doing eco challenge with a prosthesis. Danelle, you're going to get camera time again. I'm going to cry again. <laughs> <laughs> so Ray and, Ray and I are going to cry again. And Danelle, you're going to be dodging the camera once yeah, again. I'm going to. I'm going to be able to dodge the camera again. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and you know why other people are going to be crying is because they're going to get beat by a guy with one leg. You know, this is coming. Yeah. Dave's strong. Yeah. yeah I got to start training. <laughs> <laughs> no, the other teams are going to be crying when they get passed by a guy with one leg. Uh, this is, this is going to be harsh. But this is like putting the band back together, isn't it? I mean, of your 100 adventure races, you and Dave and Travis were on a top team uh, when you stopped doing it, were you not? Yeah, about that was probably, I don't know, 15 years ago. And yeah, we we did pretty well together. We never had a really top finish. Uh, we, nope. We kind of had some bad luck. Like we'd be up in the front and then we just have some bad luck. Dave and I have you- bad luck racing together. <laughs> we've both been through a lot we've both been through you know a, a, a near-death uh, accident and we both have two kids now and so we're back at it and we're just going to give it a go and hopefully this time we'll have a little bit better luck well i think you need to have your hair done because the, the camera's going to be on you i'm going to it again i see if you if they're going to be first of all Travis is the most amazing actor for adventure racing. Um, so he'll be good at the interviews. And uh, I think the camera's going to be on Dave's leg. So I should be able to avoid the camera again. Uh, okay. Well, I kept waiting. Raya, maybe, maybe you don't know this story. 
But Danelle's got major story here. She just alluded to Dave, you know, fell off the summit of Bear Peak, was only third, only 30 feet tall. But this giant boulder landed on his leg and crushed it. I actually yeah. know that story. I watched the Mac Dave Matthews story, that documentary about it. <clears throat> yeah. Another that was... one that made me cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's well, the one that'll really make you cry is Nellie's story which made national news, made international news. You can Google this if you want. Nellie was saved by her dog, Taz. Is this classic Lassie story. It's just unbelievable. And then I'm sorry to be telling you this all over again, but you were out on a run in the late fall. Was it late November or early December? I think it was late November, wasn't it? It was December 13th. There you go. And you took a slip and you fractured your pelvis. And you couldn't move. And this was cold. I mean, you know, it's a desert, which means it's dry, but doesn't mean it's warm. And you couldn't have lasted another night. And your dog, Taz, goes running, barking back to the searchers and saying, in essence, follow me. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's correct. And um, and actually, I had Taz had died uh, the year prior to going to Fiji. Um, and had his ashes with me. And my neighbor, who was the um, one that had originally noticed that I was missing, that I wasn't hadn't come home, um, she's actually got Alzheimer's now, and I've been taking care of her. So, um, you know, so being able to race with Mark and, um, you know, not having Taz to take care of, I was able to go to Fiji and kind of come full circle with the, wow. with the accident. Wow. I feel like that just like, it like highlights that I think every single person who was in Fiji has some sort of story. I feel like you don't go do things like that if you haven't, if you haven't had something in your life that makes you want to do these things. I don't know. I wish they had like 100 episodes so they could focus on every single person <laughs> yeah it's true there's so many stories that they could have told out there did you hear about antonio de la rosa who no and he had just paddled from mainland like from california out to hawaii in a paddleboard oh whoa literally like two weeks before fiji he, oh before he, fiji not like now <laughs> no it was like two weeks before fiji yeah Spent, and it took him like, I don't know, a couple months to do it. He got the record for the Pacific crossing. Wow. But then he was, then he went right back, right back out there and competed in the eco challenge. There's just a whole bunch of amazing stories. Yeah. He paddled from California to Hawaii. Yeah. And on a paddleboard. <laughs> so I guess he did pretty well in the paddleboard section. <laughs> I think that part was pretty easy for him. <laughs> we actually got a our team strategized and we actually got we paddled part way and then we got out at this bridge and we decided that the road was shorter because the the river was very windy and we decided we would just walk down this road to the checkpoint well the problem was we got out the guys were like oh we'll just carry the paddle boards we'll just leave one inflated and put everything on top and just carry it on our head but they were too heavy but luckily we got this wheelbarrow. <laughs> one of the locals happened to have a wheelbarrow. It was like a small vehicle. So we loaded all the stuff in the wheelbarrow. And I walked along with Mark and I walked along side, told stories the whole time while Travis and Shane pushed this wheelbarrow with the paddleboards in it. And sure enough, we made up about five hours on that paddleboard section. How long did it take you to walk it? It took us about three or four hours. It took us nine hours to paddle it. <laughs> if we didn't have the wheelbarrow, I think it would have been rough. But we really had a good strategic, uh, but the problem is when we pulled into that checkpoint, there was, it was dark and there was all these lights and there was this bridge that you had to, this br bridge, like this moving bridge that you had to cross. And there's people with bikes going both directions. And we had these, we had all these locals running around us and Travis is pushing this wheelbarrow and he accidentally grabbed the wrong, all these crazy things happen. So <laughs> Mark starts freaking out, freaking out. 
and he had decided that Travis and I had, uh, he was mad at us because Travis and I had started up this bike theft operation and we had, we were stealing bikes from this community and we were taking them across this bridge on this wheelbarrow and we had the locals in on it and he was so <laughs> mad at us and poor Travis was in tears because he couldn't, his dad was like this it, and you can't blame him. And Jane and I were like, whoa, what do we do? And uh, so we ended up, uh, that was actually where they had closed down the course due to the rainstorm. So okay. we, we got to put Mark to sleep. And um, and then by the next morning, he was fine. And he couldn't remember what happened, but we told him what happened. And we were all able to laugh about it. <laughs> wow. So the number two team took nine hours and the number... 45th team took four hours. Yeah, but we took 14 out about, we took a long sleep. We were priced out for about 12 or 14 hours. Gotcha. To sleep and put our bikes together and, and then get back rolling. I really think okay. like that's probably the hardest part for me of adventure racing. Not that I've done a lot, so I don't have like a lot of experience, but um, it's really hard to figure out how, just how much sleep you should get so that you're not losing time because you're making not so great decisions because you're tired and I feel like that was probably the hardest part during the race was like knowing just how much because your body can go without sleep like you can still keep walking but it doesn't help you if you walk really fast in the wrong direction because you're just getting more lost um, so I think that's probably the challenge of adventure racing to me that's like the hardest one is like how much sleep should you get so you optimize your correct direction moving speed. So when you guys made that navigational error towards the end before the, I guess it was before the last bike ride, do you feel like um, that was due to sleep deprivation or was that just a tough navigation section? I think it was both. I think it was, we were there at night and the directions, like the maps weren't very good. And the description just said, take the path that the river, that the locals take to cross the river. And there was no locals to really ask at 3am. We couldn't really see very far because it was dark. And we were all so tired that I feel like things that made sense would not really have made sense to do if we weren't that tired. Um, so I think it would have been a better use of time to just take a three hour nap in the dark and then try to navigate it in the light. But hindsight is 2020. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Classic, classic. Ray, you just described that very well. And of course, walking really fast in the wrong direction can be very demoralizing as well. Yeah. So, or doing it in circles. It's worse. <laughs> <laughs> Doing <laughs> circles is worse. Yeah, wow. I've, I've made, we've made lots of. Even when I when we finished second that year, we did a few circles. Yeah, Sometimes I, I, I feel like before you land. Yeah, I feel like every. I don't think I don't think there's. It's possible to have like an exactly perfect race. I feel like it's more like how imperfect can your race be, and you can still recover from your mistakes, and you know, stay stay a strong team and um, stay positive. Well, pardon the cliche, but it is a little bit like life in that regard, isn't it? You <laughs> do have to stay positive. Definitely. Yeah. Mistakes are going to happen. And if you want to have the perfect race, something goes wrong and you just fall to pieces. Well, it doesn't matter how strong you are. You emotionally have to be strong as well. Yeah, that's true. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. So what's up for 2021? We don't, there's no announcement. Obviously, there's this global pandemic going on, so they're not sure when they're going to hold 2021. We know it's going to be in Chile, but it might be uh, uh, early spring or it might be very late. It might be uh, February or it might be November. Any word on that? Not that I've heard. I haven't heard either. I'm hoping that it's uh, early spring because if it's in November, I might not be able to go uh, because of the trail race that I organized here in Moab. The Moab Trail Marathon, the U.S., is it still the USATF National Championship? It is again this year, yes. Okay, so listeners, you can enter, you have to enter it early because it sells out every year. And it's also a half marathon, putting in a plug for you here, Nellie, but you don't really need it because it sells out every year. But the for Sunday still available. Ah, ah. So you also have 
two days. So there's a half marathon on Saturday and one on Sunday. Correct. Yeah. Right. So just a little plug there. It's an incredible course. The half marathon finishes going down a creek. So you could be shindy. I mean, your A, sorry, I just have to mention this because your AR background sure shows in your course design. <laughs> it suddenly dawned on me. Just a half marathon, you're coming down this creek. You're shin deep in water. So, of course, I'm liking that when I'm doing it. I can make my move on that because I have no speed, but I can run through water. So I kind of like it. But then the marathon has three rope sections. So this is. Oh, I might have to do that. I hope that challenge is in February. <laughs> yeah. This, this is true, Rhea. Three rope sections on the United States Track and Field Association National Mar Trail Marathon Championship. So you can tell who designed that course. Are there trail markings or do you have to bring a compass? <laughs> all marked. <laughs> I use probably 40 rolls of flagging tape. So Whoa. it's really good. Yeah. And the rope section, are the, the ropes are like fixed line. So it's not like a, a adventure racing rope section where you're harnessed in. It's just yeah. it's a yeah. line where you could kind of use it as a as a hand line. No navigation. No. Yeah. On that note, I will bid you two fond to do, and we might be seeing each other. The three of us might get together out in the Colorado River for uh, either a pack raft or a surf ski foray down the Colorado River. Or both. Yeah, that or sounds both. fantastic. I, I, I will be down for that. <laughs> and uh, good luck in 2021. This sounds like an, this sounds so fun. I look forward to following you both. You got, well, you got great stories here. Thank yeah. you. Well, thank you.